Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 340 of the Peristyle Podcast. Whoa, big show for you this week on the podcast. USC losing on a Hail Mary pass. Arizona State, unbelievable. If we're on the field for that game, could not believe that USC lost. And you can't believe it either because we have so many questions to get to this week. Dan Weber, Coach Harvey Hyde are going to try to answer every single one of them that you sent in. How do you do that? Send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Or call us at 206-888-6755. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and leave a voicemail right there. And we'll jump right in because we have so much to get to. We don't want to go too long with this, but, man, there's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns out there. Coach Harvey Hyde, as you can understand, it was a crazy night at the Coliseum. It was a crazy night at the Coliseum. If you, if you want to say, just call it that, I'd say it is. Uh, it's one of those type of situations when you go back and you say why, if, when, uh, should have, would have, <laughs> all of that. Uh, you throw everyone in there, and uh, Ryan, uh, you couldn't be wrong. So rather than me just go along and, and try to recap the entire game, which I can't do in an hour or two, <laughs> what, what we'll do is why don't we just start off by you asking me questions that the people have sent in or – if you have uh, questions, we can listen to, and we'll try to get to everybody's questions. I don't know if we can do it, but we'll try. We're going to try our damnedest, Coach. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor before we jump in, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. If you need tickets for Dodgers, Angels, any kind of stuff going on here in Southern California, across the country, go to sctickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287, and they will hook you up. And uh, you can follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me, at Inside Troy. Tweet either one of us. We both like to get on the Twitter and uh, and have some discussions, a lot of discussions uh, Saturday night, of course, as you know. I want to jump into some of these questions. Coach, we do apologize. We'll try to get to each and every one. We'll keep our answers a little tighter this week just because we know there's so much going on. So many people have sent in things. And I'm going to start with a voicemail question, Coach, for you. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. Had to ask questions. This is Al from Fresno. Um, being that the team is underperforming, uh, does the coach think that they're just being undercoached? Um, because if you look at the opposite other side of the ball, these other teams are throwing downfield. They're you know be, making positive yardage uh, with first downs and trying to move the ball. Uh, we're throwing balls behind the line of scrimmage um, in the flat, running up the middle, very predictable. Um, the Coliseum isn't full. Crowd isn't happy. What does the coach think we have to do uh, to change this and uh, turn this thing around? Thanks. Well, that's not an easy answer, and it's not a, a short answer. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, uh, uh, first thing, you have to be uh, on the same page, I think. You have to understand what you're trying to accomplish. The kids have to understand what you're trying to accomplish. I think you have to put all the towels away, put everybody uh, down on the field, put helmets on them, get everybody away from your players talking on the sideline, get focused on what you're doing in the football game. Hey, this is a battle. You're in a foxhole. You need to keep everybody undercover 
are ready to uh, to play. I don't know where this this thing came in the background with everybody standing on the benches and dancing and twirling towels and everything. But to me, that takes away from the main focus of what you're trying to do. But that's my opinion. If they want to be a cheerleader, if they don't want to play in the game, let everybody sit up in the stands. But I think that they practice that. Someone hand out the towels. So I'm looking at this as I'm saying, you're actually wasting time trying to figure out how to get more spirit on the bench rather than execution and what's necessary to win a football game. I think you've got to use your time properly in what you're doing. The final play of the game, the Hail Mary play, for example, and I'll just pick that one out. Not that that's the only play. I think the play before with 73 yards with a couple of minutes ago in the game was just as big uh, in the coverages and how that play came off after, after Allen ran for his touchdown. Uh, they weren't even in a final play of the game defense. I mean, if they were, you would think, first of all, people would go for the ball, that you'd have your bigger guys back there, like with hands, some of your receivers. How about your tight ends, Bryce Dixon and Telford, guys that are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". They can jump up in the air and knock the ball down or catch the ball or do whatever you teach them to do, get in positions so that that type of pass pass can't be uh, even caught. They weren't in the proper defense. They had a defense call to cover two, which is a, a zone, two deep, zone deep. And then at the last minute, they made the change to, I believe, the prevent defense. And at that time, not the prevent, but the final play of the game defense. And at that time, it wasn't communicated. So half the team did it and half the team didn't do it. You have Hayes Pollard standing in the end zone and wondering what he's doing there. I mean, nothing against Hayes Pollard. Now, I'm not going to pick on players. I'm just saying, uh, when you have, when you're in a situation and you have three minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game and you're up by nine points, you don't lose a football game. When they had their first onside kick, I said that was the biggest play of the game when Telford caught that. And I said, wow, and he took a good hit too. And then you drove the ball, you were driving the ball, you were running the clock, and Buck Allen broke for a touchdown. I said, fall down, Buck. Don't get in the end zone. You scored too fast. Yeah. All you needed to do was run the clock out. They had no timeouts. Rather than get a 37-yard touchdown, I'd rather have seen four first downs. Because every time you took time off the clock, it wouldn't have come down to 23 seconds, even how fast they threw the, the, the next play. The next play that after you kick off to them, they throw a touchdown pass. Uh, down the sideline to Smith, and, and it, it, the, the change is almost impossible to explain the emotion of that for myself, how you can go from being up by nine to back down now to two, and then another onside kick. And fortunately, you get the next onside kick, fortunately. And right then now you say it's over because you got the onside kick. It's over. All you need to do, but don't give the ball back because there's no way in heck the defense can stop them. No, I tweeted out in the third quarter that the best defense in this game the rest of the way is the offense to have the football. Yeah. Was they were not stopping them in any way. I don't know if you noticed that tweet or not. I did, Coach, yeah. That's exactly what I said because you you cannot stop 
that often. They could not. They had no capabilities whatsoever. They didn't know what they were doing or whatever. Yeah. No, it's hard to argue with so, any of that logic, Coach. Right. So here we go. So how do you win the football game? Well, you don't try to not win the game. You try to win. The, you try not. You don't try to lose the game. You're not trying to lose the game, but you want to win the game. So all you need to do when you look at the clock, you know they have no timeouts. You figure out how many plays you have to run, and if you make one first down, it's over. Over done. But they don't try to do that. They just, like, run around and put their knee down, run around and put their knee down. But if you're going to do that, run from sideline to sideline so that at least you're using time up. So they punt the ball, and I had no idea at that time that the center had a concussion. So Cody's putting the ball like a regular snap. And I don't know how many times he practices that. But normally on a Division One level, you have a backup center. They have a backup center. It's on scholarship. Why don't you use them? What if you need to kick a winning field goal? You're not going to kick it because you don't have a center? You've got to be able to have backups, and they have backups. But they didn't. They decided not to, whatever they're trying to save him, not burn a redshirt year, whatever, but you've got to win a football game. That's more important than anything else. So I, I, I just think there's a lot of things like this, and I'm going to quit because we could go on and on yeah. and on. I don't think it's fair to our other callers or people that wanted to answer questions, but I just took that portion of it to explain it now as far as your question. Yeah, we, we, you've hit on some other questions we have. And the first one with the, uh, you know, you talk about the, the cheering. It's about basically a lot of the walk-ons are on the sideline if you haven't seen it. And I guess they showed it on television. John wrote in, and I wanted to get your quick thoughts on this. We don't want to go too long because it's, but it's been, it comes up a lot. Um, but it says, as an alum, I feel embarrassed as we're having the backups jump up and down on the sideline. The head coach and his staff are responsible for this, and there doesn't seem to be any passion for the game. It's a good question for you. How many people does Sark have on his staff? Is there seem to be a lot of people on the sidelines doing BS, like giving attitude to receiver Darius Rogers when he dropped the ball, rather than coach him up? By the way, I'm seeing all of this on national television. So we, we've got a lot of stuff like this, Coach, where people are concerned, like, why are these walk-ons on the sideline cheering like that? It seems like it's, it's kind of fake enthusiasm. It is. If you have to fire a team up to get into the game by having your players in the back jumping up and down, and it is embarrassing, and and twirling towels and throwing the towels up in the air when it's a penalty and so on, that, that that's not football. Whether they're walk-on or not, they're part of that football team. Whether you're on scholarship or not, you're part of that football team. You help prepare for battle, play this football game. And to have all those people on the sideline like this gentleman just mentioned – I see it all the time. I wonder, who are these people? I mean, who are these people that are hugging these kids and talking to them and distracting them from the game and not knowing what plays called? I mean, I, I don't know. And I call that bench discipline, okay? It's thought of start everywhere. Locker room discipline, bus riding discipline, plane riding discipline, huddle discipline, uh, practice discipline, sideline, the whole pack, the whole thing. And right now it looks like it's chaos. On the sideline, I have no idea. I would be surprised that somebody run up and call a play, send it in the game. <laughs> uh, we'll see. But yeah, it's, that was a concern. It seems kind of strange, but I, I'm curious to see if they continue to do that going forward. Um, Matthew is a depressed Trojan fan in Michigan. He gave us two reasons for the loss. I'm going to summarize it because it was kind of long. 
uh, penalties that kept those couple Arizona State drives alive and very conservative play calling uh, when the game was on the line. When, when Sark was under pressure, he felt the play calling got a lot more conservative. And he says, I hope Sark learns from this. I re- it really seems like they're holding back on offense. I love Buck Allen and Justin Davis, but I feel they could wing it through the air and could really exploit teams with their tight ends. Uh, this will be a loss that stings at the end of the year because SC should have won by three touchdowns. Hope they make adjustments. They're too talented not to turn this thing around. That's a that's Matthew in Michigan. And 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 Matthew in Michigan, I agree with you. I don't believe I would switch the roster of USC with any other roster in the Pac-12. You've got great receivers, great running backs. You've got to coach these kids up. The penalties you're talking about, too, specifically, I'm thinking of is when Woods got one for sacking the quarterback when it was a big down and they had an incomplete pass and they got a first down and then a pass interference, uh, pass interference I think, with number four, uh, Hawkins, or, uh, had a holding penalty in the secondary after an incomplete pass where they got a, a first down. You can't have this. You can't beat yourself. And this is helping your opponent. You can't do things like that. And I agree with the tight ends. Here you have two great receiving tight ends, and they're hardly ever used. I mean, you got to stretch the field. I mean, Strong, that great big receiver that Arizona has, do you see the mismatches that they do to the defensive backs? Well, Bryce Dixon and Telford's the same type of player. Put them in the slot where they can't cover them. Run post corners. Run curls. What happened to the old curl route? Comeback routes. These type of routes. Drag routes. I agree 100% with uh, our caller. I think you've got to utilize your talent that you have to the best of their ability. Play to win. Make the big play. All right. Uh, let's move on. Jay Valalta, I believe his name is, a USC class of 97. He says, any hard-fought loss is a loss one can live with. Uh, I, I think he's saying this is not a hard-fought <laughs> A question for Coach is, what does this, what does this team – get out of yet another loss of poor defensive performances. Is there a fundamental structural change, structural change that must happen? I can see this hap- I can see this happening again unless there's a fundamental change with this team. Well, you're going to see this next weekend, uh, you're going to see well you saw this team lose two different ways uh, as far as on the defensive side of the ball. And you can't blame defense. You got to blame everybody, coaching staffs, everybody. Yeah, and you don't necessarily blame them. You just say someone's in charge here. And you always look to say who, who won the battle and who, who you decorate when, when they win and who you bust as far as the ranks when they lose. Uh, I, I think that, that you've, you, you went against a, an option type of team with Boston College and a power team, and there was not, we all saw there wasn't any adjustments made on Murphy when he carried the ball, Murray the quarterback from Boston College. Everyone knows USC should have beaten Boston College. I said this morning, Ryan, when you were listening, I can see us losing or SC losing to Stanford, but I can't see SC losing the game they lost last night and the Boston College. They'd be 4-1. and one. I think everybody say, hey, you know what? They played Stanford really well and lost, but to lose the way these two games went down, is where everybody starts questioning what's going on. What's going on? Uh, are they playing hard? I think they're playing hard. Are they playing with a, me, as much meanness as they had? I'm, I sort of question that. I don't know 
there's a guy on the football field there coaching now that turns his head hat around backwards and wants to headbutt the wall. Uh, the toughness of a football team you need on the big play. And then you lost this week on on defensive adjustments and people aren't making the big play and not getting lined up right. I mean, man, oh, man. Uh, and then also, I don't want to say just coaching. I mean, drop passes, four drop passes, a touchdown pass drop. But they drop touchdown passes too, so you can't just put it one way. But there's a combination of everything. I'm not real, you know, the play coach. Why did you run a wildcat when it's second and ten? I mean, who are you trying to who are you trying to fool? Or you, or what was it, third and two, and you throw a bubble screen yeah. and minus two. I mean, these are things that I I sit here and I say, just tell me why. I mean, you don't need to in the series that you need as far as this comes off of that and that comes off of this, and just keep the rhythm going. And, and if you can't get to the quarterback, then go after the quarterback. You've got to pressure this guy. This guy was in a rhythm where he was going seven. He was playing seven on seven. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was actually passing against air like there was no defenders there. I mean, you got to do something to change that. You can't just let it continue because the clock and the scoreboard keeps changing. So you got to make different adjustments. Yes, it sounds easy to talk about it now after the fact, but you got to be prepared during your game planning and practicing to do this. They lost on the last play of the game on something that they practice every day on in practice, as the players say, but they didn't have a chance to use it. Now, how does that make sense? doesn't make sense. No, it does not. Um, well, Coach, we know you're not an advocate of uh, talking about firing coaches and all the – families that are involved we talked about this before but we got a lot of questions though i want to read you a couple of these and kind of get your thoughts on this but like there's some a couple guys like bill wrote in he said you need to fire the athletic director and football coach players just stood and watched the other team catch the winning pass so he's not happy but for the that there's less there's some pe- people talk about sark but a lot of it's a focused on justin wilcox and people want to bring back clancy pendergast who usc's still paying by the way he was uh the defensive coordinator last year and was is just just stuck around for one year before they let him go. But I'll read you this one question, and there's a whole bunch of other people that kind of wrote in something similar. He said, if you didn't notice, this was one of the worst coach games in USC football history. How can our four- and five-star guys continue to be beaten by their two- and three-star guys? Coaching, coaching, coaching. Our offensive play calling is terrible. We try short five-yard passes, mainly the sideline. When the game was at the end, all we needed was a couple of first downs, and the game was over. Instead, Sark called... Nothing but runs, which we haven't been able to do all game, and gave the ball back to Arizona. The handwriting was on the wall. They would get the ball back, and we would lose. Sark needs to be fired, or someone else needs to direct the offense. Our pass defense is ridiculous. How come the other team's wide receivers are open all the time, and ours are barely open? Wilcox needs to be fired. Bring back Clancy Pendergast. What a disaster. There's always next year. That's Gene from Orange County. And we had Martin in Ontario, uh, Ron, Jay, John. Uh, Marcel and Diamond Bar, all those guys were talking about firing uh, Wilcox and bringing uh, Pendergast back. So it's been a a topic of conversation, Coach. What are your thoughts on USC's defensive coordinator and how that all shakes out? Well, you know, you can make all the statements, and you you certainly can. It's that's your priority. You can make these statements, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because uh, Wilcox is part of. 
Coach Sarkeesian's staff. And uh, Pat Hayden isn't going to force that issue. Uh, and they're in their first year. I hear people the other side, oh, give them time. This is their first game. But my main thing is their first season is if the team's getting better and progressing, I can buy that. I, I, I can say, oh, man, that, that was a great game, hard fought. They're getting better every week. They added this. That's working good and so on. But that really hadn't been the case. Uh, they're not going to change it. They're not going to bring Clancy back. That's that's history. Uh, if they – Coach Wilk, Wilcox, he's just got to get it done. I mean, you're paying a guy. You paid a million dollars to buy him out of his contract at Washington. So, obviously, Coach Sarkeesian is the person – who's responsible for putting the staff together. So it's not Justin Wilcox. It's the general, the guy that runs the corporation. But people around me, and I've used this before, and I'm going to use this again. So if you're a regular listener, I'm sorry. But USC is the White House. It's General Motors. It's Ford. It's a corporation. It's one of the biggest deals around. So when you have a university like that, you have key people that are a part of it. And one of it is what puts the school together, not only the academic side, but the football program. So your leader of the football program surrounds himself with people like the president does with cabinet people. And you've got to have the best. One of those people is the person that flies Air Force One. He doesn't learn on the job. He's been in the Navy and flown or Air Force and flown. He's done it all. You bring in that guy to be your pilot to put together the flight plan to make sure that you're going to get where you're going safely. You don't bring somebody in that hasn't been that quality experienced person. So you don't bring a guy in that hadn't flown that type of plane, you don't bring a guy in that's a Piper Cup guy. And I'm not saying Justin Wilcox is, but I'm not sure on his credentials to be flying Air Force One. Same with the offensive coordinator. Now, Coach Sarkeesian chooses to call his plays. That's his priority. He can do that. But myself, being a head football coach, I knew I didn't have the time at a major college university with all the required things to speak at, the press and everything else to do what I needed to do to be an offensive coordinator. So you want that same pilot, that type of pilot doing the offense and special teams. Then you game manage the game and you remind all of these guys what's coming up and what to have ready and what you expect and what you want to do in this down distance situation. So I think Coach Sarkeesian, when you look ahead, as far as what do we do today when we're sitting in a staff meeting, I would relinquish the play calling and give it back to Clay Elton. I would say that, hey, Clay, take it. We had great success when you did it with Orgeron and in the Las Vegas Bowl. Take it. Let me manage the football program on and off the field. And if I need to work with the defensive side of the football as much as I do the offensive football, fine. Let me be in charge of the bench discipline. Let me be in charge of all the things that are necessary to keep this White House, General Motors, Ford making a profit. 
But this is just my suggestion, but there will not be any changes made in his staff during this year. That is what I would I would, as a head football coach, if you came to me and said, you got to fire your defensive coordinator, I'd say, I'm not firing him. If you fire, you fire him. I'm not going to fire him. So that's the way I would look at it because I'm the one that made the decision to bring him in. So I'm the one that wants to give them the opportunity to fly my play. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I agree with you, Coach. Like, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it'd be justified if he did. Uh, they had a good option that they're still paying. Bring back <laughs> Pendergast. I don't have an issue with that. But also, you're, uh, I mean, the, the, relinquishing the, the, the play calling, I think, is a big step. That's something they can do, something that would work. Let him handle the bench. There's too much confusion at the end of the game. So I, I, I have no issues with doing something like that. And what that, you know, I'm sure that question is going to come up again this week. Um, you also talked about the Hail Mary, and uh, I want to touch on that. Charles uh, from Carson had a question about that, too. He said he, he remembers the Coliseum as a kid watching Keyshawn Johnson play, and when there was a Hail Mary, they put Keyshawn Johnson and some other wide receivers as jumpers. He says, I saw five or six Trojans there, and no one jumped. That's bad coaching. I think our coaches are out th- overthinking at times, which gives me a sense that they have self-doubt. And uh, I wanted to get, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. I want to get your quick thoughts. But just to let people know when they do practice this in, in practice that it's a situation where it'll be the offense jumps one play and the defense jumps another. And it almost looked like, Coach, that they said, okay, only the offense can jump. It's like the defensive players went down there just like they practiced, but they didn't jump <laughs> at the end and do that. And I think the reason, if they were going to put any tall people in there, they were confused on the play call as well. They weren't sure what was going to happen. So it's not like they had it set up for a Hail Mary defense. So I think if they knew what it was going to be, they might have set that up. And you could argue they should have known. And, and that's like that's the only thing that could happen. But um, you didn't really see what their Hail Mary defense was because they were kind of confused. And half the guys were in one defense, half the guys were in another. But to me, Coach, it looked like what they practiced. It's only when he calls a play, he says, offense jumps this time. That's what it looked like happened. Only the offense jumped. Well, that's what it appeared too. I agree. I, I, that, I think that's what most of the people are complaining about too is the effort on the play. It was like they were all in shock when the, he just ran through there like it was a tall play, went up in the air, ran to the ball as he explained it, looked over his shoulder, ran to the ball, made a catch. There was no, if nothing else, call made pass interference. Knock him down if he's open that early. No lane catch the ball. It's a 15-yard penalty. I mean, uh, you know, you do some type of effort to try to, to stop that play. And they were they were so confused they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. They, they were, that's what it, they were in shock too. The guys on the field, because they were confused. They didn't know what to do, what to line up in. They were afraid they'd get in trouble because they're not running the defense that was called. And, and that's basically what happened because you didn't have your, as this gentleman mentioned, your tall receiver type guys like I talked about earlier on the field. And uh, that's what happened. And you lost the game. You know, myself, if I had thought they were doing it when they came out and I saw them line up in the, in the trips to run it or whatever they were going to do, I, I couldn't see the formation. I don't know what the formation was. But I'd have had my defensive tackle jump off sides. Give them five yards yeah. so I can get the right defense in there or whatever I'm going to do. But, you know, that's it's easy for me to think about that now, but those are the things you think about as far as preparing if, if it isn't what you think it's going to be. 
You know, uh, Dennis wrote in, too, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. He said, did you guys hear Sark in his post-game interview say that's why you play 60 minutes? He said, how about you and Wilcox coach for 60 minutes? Which, uh, you know, uh, understandable he would say something like that. But he felt that they were playing a prevent defense. He goes, all that does is prevent you from winning. Um, I, You know, it, to me, it looked like you wanted them. To, they didn't really play a prevent defense when they gave up the 73-yard pass to Cameron Smith. I mean, there was only one defender there. There was no one behind him to, you know, prevent a score. They didn't keep him in front of him. And then they weren't really in the right defense for a Hail Mary either. But, it, it's you know, Dennis had a question about prevent defense, but it seems like they, they should have probably been in something similar to that, and they weren't. It is. Uh, it's absolutely uh, amazing to play before you talk about with Smith caught a football. I, I don't know what positioning the defensive back had. I know who it is. I'm just not going to mention his name. I mean, the angle, it's almost like he was falling down. They went after him what, uh, a lot during that game. Yeah, I mean, the position of where he was on the field, it wasn't like he was going for an interception. That's what it appeared. But he was just off balance and fell down, and he, there was no safety help, nobody behind. Uh, I don't know what was going on. It was like a, the lonesome end that nobody knew was out there. And they threw him all, and he hit it perfectly, and and. and that's what happened. He, they scored a touchdown. It was a shock to everybody because now it's back to the two-point play and another onside kick. Yeah. So, you know, you have two or three times to win the football game, and that's what people are talking about. People left, and I talked to some people that changed the channel on TV, but, oh, they're up by nine. Two minutes ago, I'm watching UCLA game. And all of a sudden, they come back to see what happened. They lost. Yeah. You, you say, how could this happen? Well, that's basically what happened. And you didn't play to win. You didn't finish the game. As that gentleman mentioned, you got to coach for 60 minutes as well as you got to play for 60 minutes. It just broke down completely. It started to break down. I saw it starting to break down when I tweeted out at the end of the third quarter, hey, just hold on to the football. Get ahead and hold on to the football. Don't score too early. Get out of here. And they did have 38 minutes with a possession type of possession, USA. Yeah. But they didn't have enough. They needed to get two first downs. Two more first downs, and there isn't 23 seconds. Yeah. And it almost reminds me of the the Texas game for the national championship. When on second and seven, they threw the ball to Hancock in the flat. It was incomplete, stopping the clock. And then they came back, ran the ball. Adele White ran five, and then took Reggie out of the game and then ran for ran for the uh, one yard or whatever they had to make for a first down. They were short. Yeah. They waste they wasted it down and stopped the clock, and that's what beat them. He's trying to rip people's good. heart outs with bringing up the Texas loss after this one, Coach. You know. Well, doesn't it sort of remind you of that? <laughs> no, it, it definitely does. And, but you know, we're talking about that Seymour play, and and as a coach, to me, I, I people keep you know you didn't mention his name. It was Keevan Seymour that went for the interception or tried to tip the pass. I don't mind that as much, and maybe I'm completely wrong. But he's trying to make a play on the football now. Should he? Should he try to keep him the the, the receiver in front of him? Yes. But I also I would blame more of the defensive scheme if if he does try to make a play on the football and misses. There should be something behind him to 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 help. I mean, in that situation, all, you're not you're just trying to prevent a long play. I mean, I I don't mind him trying to be aggressive and make a play. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but shouldn't there be somebody behind him as a safety valve? to keep them in front of them? No question, but it didn't look like they were playing man. I don't know what they were playing. It didn't really show it. 
But I don't want. I didn't watch the, the game at the, there at the stadium. I always go home and chart it, as you know, completely. Yeah. And they didn't show basically what the coverage was. They showed the effort, and you know, in that type of a situation, you do one or two things. You come up and bump them on the line of scrimmage, and then play two deep zones so the guy can't get off the line of scrimmage. You di- disrupt his route. And then you got a safety in the back, too. You run with him if they don't put a guy in the flat. So you run with him and you double-team the guy. But uh, there was no correct positioning anywhere. And if you're playing zone behind, but if you're playing man and he's faster than you, and you don't want to play man. You want to keep him in front of you, like you said. Yeah. Because if you fall down or slip, they could get a touchdown. So I just don't know. I just don't know what was happening in the second day. But basically, I don't want to just talk about these two plays. It looked like to me... Whenever they threw the ball, I'd say, oh, my gosh, they either caught it or dropped the pass. Yeah. Really, that's what, he, what was going on there in the third and fourth quarter. They either caught the ball or they dropped the pass. They dropped a lot of passes or they, it had been a lot different. Um, we've got a few more I want to try to get to quickly. Jesse Rodriguez, uh, U.S. Army retired. He had three questions. I'll kind of read them all to you, Coach, and kind of pick what you want to talk about. But he said, is it me? Is it seeing this team? Uh, with the exception of the Fresno State game, is never prepared and cannot adjust during halftime or during games. Two, he said, I understand that we're dealing with depth issues and our defense gets tired in the second half. What I'm not understanding is why does it seem like the team loses its focus and continues to have lapses on offense and defense? And then three, why does this defense resemble Monty Kiffin's Tampa 2 a lot at times during the game? Seems like last year's defense was more aggressive and attacking. We get no pass rush whatsoever for stretchers during the games. That's Jesse Rodriguez. Thank you for your service, Jesse. U.S. Army retired. Well, I, I have to agree with him uh, on almost all issues here. Uh, first of all, you're not getting any pass rush whatsoever. And in that final play of the game there, uh, I mentioned it earlier, those guys were exhausted. They weren't making any type of rush anywhere. I'd have taken them out and I'd have put a bunch of linebackers in there, Quentin Powell and the rest of these guys, and I'd have had them rush the passer. I mean, even have them stand up. At least you have team speed out there on the field. On the, on the field, I mean, you could leave Leonard Williams in there, and but you got to get after that guy. Rush for and make him hurry his pass. He just stood back there and he took all day to throw the ball. And uh, uh, the second, what was the second part? Now, give me the first part. Oh, okay, that, sorry. That was one. Okay, that was so the, the part. he also so he's talking about. Um, that they can't make adjustments uh, during the game or halftime. It just seems like they're never prepared and they're unorganized. Well, what they, what they, what you're seeing is you're seeing on the offensive side of the ball. If they do this, I do that. What SC seems to do is this, that, that, that. They're not counteracting something. They're starting, stopping by saying, "Oh, you're going to stop that, then we're going to run bootleg. Well, you're going to stop that, then I'm going to hit my tight ends on the curl." Oh, you're going to run cover two? I'm going to hit you down the seam, and I'm going to run a post. Oh, you're going to run cover two? Oh, we're going to run a post corner, and I'm going to have the tight end in the flat and run a post corner with my slot. I mean, there's, there's, there's ways of if you do this, I'm going to do that. And you've got to be able to be ready to do that, not continually do the same thing that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work. You've got to have a variation of series of offensive plays that covers all of the different things that a defense can do to you. And they don't seem to be doing that. They don't seem to be doing that. So that's what the offensive side of the ball, as far as me trying to explain that to you. On the defensive side of the football, I agree. If you're not getting to the quarterback and he's whipping you, then you better go after him. 
You better go after him 100%. Now, what they were worried about is D.J. Foster, the running back, is a great receiver. Well, then put another DB in the game or do something differently to cover him rather than a linebacker. But you got to get to you had to get to the quarterback because he was having a field day. You got to flush him out. He can't run that well. He was gaining confidence as the game went along. It was like it was like an unbelievable time that he had to throw the football when he got sacked. I think twice. I think Felix got him once, and uh, Craven got him once. Otherwise, he had a pass free day. And what did he do? Throw the ball forty six times. So. You know, it, it's, it wasn't a good day. It just wasn't a good day. Uh, everyone should be responsible for that loss, and I think they feel that way. At least they, I hope they feel that way because I know how I felt after the game, and uh, it, it wasn't a good feeling. This is going to be one that's going to take a while to, to get, get rid of as fans and also as players. And... Uh, I tell you, you're going to see a hurry-up offense. You talk about a hurry-up offense. You, you know, SC talks about their hurry-up offense. You're going to see a team to beat Oregon and what they do, the hurry-up offense. And if you don't adjust to these guys, these guys have receivers now. They say, a lot of people say this is the best group of receivers. I think SC's got the best group, but they say Arizona's receivers are the best group of receivers in the Pac-12. And they've got a quarterback, Solomon, who's a freshman, who's a redshirt freshman out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, who as a starter for four years in Las Vegas was 57-3. and three. So he knows how That's to <laughs> win. And he doesn't stand in the pocket. This kid can run, too. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to do some adjusting there, too, and get ready for Arizona, because Arizona now, right now, is currently leading the South and could win the South Championship in the back 12 um, hey, Coach, we got a few more. You want to do? We can knock these out super fast. If I'll you do. Want, I'll do a couple more. We will, yeah, we'll I do, certainly appreciate people checking. Yeah, out. we'll do. We'll do them quick. You don't have to, you know, kind of do long answers. We'll do. Will in Washington talks about Coney Kessler. He likes the way he manages the game and limits turnovers. But with the athletes on offense and the outside, do we need to switch someone like Max Brown? So, I don't know. Coney Kessler to me has been playing well, but any thoughts of, of switching? No, you know. I, I really like Cody Kessler. I think he's a winner. I think he's in charge. I think he's the only guy really in charge in the offense out there. He's actually trying to perform. He's trying to keep the offense together. When he ran that touch for a touchdown on that broken play, he ran up the middle and scored. I said, come on, get in there, get in there, and he did. He needed to make that play because they were struggling, and he made that play. Yeah. And Cody, uh, again, uh, makes good decisions. He just needs some help. He needs some help in the play calling. He needs some help with guys catching the ball. He needs a little bit of help. Otherwise, it's not his fault. It, it really isn't. He's a winner. He's a good guy. I, right now, he's probably, I mean, statistically, and I know I hate statistics, okay? I just like wins. But statistically, he's having a good year. Yeah. A good enough year for the team to be at least 4-1. and one. Because I said earlier I could stomach them losing to Stanford, which I don't like to lose to anybody. But I cannot tolerate losing to somebody who you should win and beat. Arizona State lost nine starters on defense last year. Nine. 
and you can't beat them. So, you know, that's what everybody's upset about, I'm sure, Yeah. Now, among other things. Um, all right, so that's Kessler. I agree with you there. Uh, Andrew wants to know about, he says, Justin Wilcox is doing a real disservice to the team by having Sua Cravens playing linebacker. He may be one of the best DBs in college football. And you had him in there in the flat for the Hail Mary. I know Sark is his friend, but I hate to see him ruin a player's pro stock, i.e. Shaq Thompson. Do you think he, Cravens should be linebacker or safety? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, could use them at both right spots. Now, <laughs> right now, when when you ask me that question, I say, you know, you don't have the speed of the linebacker that you need. So you're 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 they're putting mismatches on you. Okay, what they want you to do is have some of these slower guys try to cover their backs in the flat and, and throw routes on you when you're playing man in these different coverages. So what he's trying to do is at least uh, get a guy that can cover. And I think Craven's done a good job in doing that. He. He was, he's very intent. I mean, last week he, he scored that interception. Uh, another guy playing linebacker wouldn't have made that play. Uh, he made a couple of plays early in the game that uh, uh, he got a sack and he threw, he threw he caused a couple of losses as far as running game, and they got away from the running game, and that's the worst thing that happened. But uh, – it's a difficult question to answer. He's he's a great athlete. Where do you play him? He could be a great strong safety. He could be a great, yeah. you know, linebacker is something that outside. But you know, you're not getting pressure. You're not you're not getting what you need out of your your outside linebackers. And really, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think you've got the action out of your inside linebackers that you need. And out of your defensive front, there's one guy playing his butt off. The others, I don't see in the game much. I mean, they're not penetrating. Whose side of the ball are they playing on? They're playing on FC side of the ball. I mean, you got to penetrate. You got to cause disruption when you're a defensive lineman. You got to be able to, you know, cause people to say we can't run there, we can't run there. Stop it before it gets going. I used to say, let's stop a play before it gets started. And right now, SC's not doing that. They're letting them get started, and then they're trying to defend them. Yeah, I got no problem with him playing up near the line of scrimmage. You just need two of them, that's all. He's great wherever he plays. I don't think him not being a deep on the Hail Mary was his fault. Or the, I mean, they just no, didn't know what they were running. Yeah. But, yeah, I, no, hard no. to argue. He's so good either way. Like, you want him in there. He makes plays in the backfield at, from that spot. So it's not like he's, they moved him and he's not making plays. He's still making plays. And then one last oh, one, no. Coach. Earl West L.A., I haven't heard – we haven't had anyone else talk about this. USC passed up two field goal opportunities – that he felt that if it would have been made, would have given a two-point margin of victory instead of a four-point defeat. Thoughts on that, skipping a couple field goals? No, you're exactly right. I spoke about that this morning. Uh, I don't know why you pass up points. You had some points there. I think it was fourth and two or fourth and one, and they, they went for it. You passed on the field goal. Uh, Hadari was on. You can tell whether he's on or off, and he was on yesterday. And... Uh, I'd have given him that opportunity to kick those two field goals. I agree 100%. Don't pass on points. And they passed on those points, and it came back to haunt them. Uh, but uh, what can you say? You know, it's easy to say it today. I mean, if you remember a week ago, he went on fourth down on a play, and I said, oh, no. Uh, and, and they were only up, I forget, by how many points against Oregon State. Luckily, he made it. 
Luckily, otherwise, uh, man, they could have lost the Oregon State game. I really believe that. So you got to keep control of yourself, and you can't let your emotions take over what you're going to do by getting mad or or any of that. you got to say, hey, it makes sense right now. Let's take the three points. And uh, he didn't do that, and, and that's a very good point. I'm glad he brought it up. All right. Well, we got a whole bunch, Coach. Great job. I know we went a little long, but thank you so much for uh, – Hanging in there and everyone else in the podcast land. Thanks for hanging in. And we're only halfway done. We still got to get to Dan Weber, and, and he's got a whole bunch more questions to answer. So we're trying to get to all of them. We want people to be able to vent. Like you say on your show on the Trojan Brudge Coach, it's like therapy. So thanks for letting uh, people vent with you, and thanks for answering everyone's questions. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate all you people out there that give us a show by, by uh, calling in or, or asking the questions. And uh, all we try to do, remember, it's our opinion. There's no one way of doing anything. It's just uh, – uh, our opinion, and uh, if you're a parent of a, of a player that's out there, uh, uh, you know, we know how you feel. And uh, if it didn't hurt, then it didn't mean anything to you. So I always used to say that. Uh, don't be afraid to cry. Don't be afraid to be upset. It should hurt when you're supposed to work so hard to get something and you don't get it. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. You can follow him at Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter. We'll be back in a minute talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber is going to join the show right now and uh, share his thoughts. We still have, we got a whole bunch of questions, Dan, answered with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, and we still have a whole bunch, and I'm still getting more in my email box, so I apologize to everyone if uh, we don't get to your question. We, we should touch on all the topics. We've got a long podcast this week, and uh, Dan, it's really nice for you to, to join us and share your thoughts. I'm glad to be here, and, uh, yep, that's all we can do is talk ourselves through this. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is twice in uh, in five weeks, so that's uh, that's a little tough. Yeah, two uh, two really bad losses of, of the first five games of Steve Sarkeesian's career. Not ideal. Uh, but let's jump into some of these questions, and we'll get to talk about all the different su- subjects. I, I'm sure we're going to touch on some of the same stuff we did with Coach Hyde, but there's just a lot of people that won event, and uh, we're here for you, and we're going to try to share – what we think, what happened, and uh, give you our opinions. And here we go with our first voicemail question for you, Dan. Hey, guys, Chris and Sam Pedro. You know, given uh, the youth and the team, the lack of depth, and all the juniors we lost to the NFL, I didn't have high expectations for this year. But one thing I didn't expect was uh, kind of a fundamentally unsound team. Uh, I just don't see the penalties uh, as being even on either side being a matter. Uh, we just shouldn't have as many penalties as we are, especially in the secondary uh, I'm questioning the play calling on uh, not kicking a field goal in the first half and then throwing that bubble screen at the end of the second half. 
uh, which took us out of field goal range. Both those things potentially could have given us the game. And I just I don't don't understand uh, what those plays are supposed to accomplish. We're playing offense like we're scoring 60 points a game, and we're barely scoring 20. Uh, the other thing I'd like to ask your opinion about is is uh, Justin Wilcox. I don't know, you know, why people think he's great, and maybe he is, but they just don't seem on defense to be making sound plays. Uh, they're out of position. They're going for interceptions when they should be just knocking the ball down, and uh, all the all the pass interference calls just just don't seem right to me. So I anyway, just like your comments, and wondering if you ever get the opportunity to ask the coach about specific play calls or specific strategy, because uh, uh, that's my observation. And appreciate uh, your time. Take it easy. Uh, Chris uh, actually says says most of it anyway. Uh, not a lot of questions there, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, which is probably the way way it ought to be uh, right now. Uh, Sark did agree with you that uh, that that was a terrible play call, and probably the beginning of the end uh, that the the most negative thing that happened at the end of the game was not in the final three minutes when they gave up two two uh, touchdowns and couldn't get a first down and couldn't kick a, you know a good punt. Uh, he thought the the worst thing that happened was uh, uh, he called and he called it himself uh, a bad call, where he gave Cody the option on that third and two to either throw the bubble screen or to run it. And uh, Nelson had been hot and Nelson had been you know going well and Cody chose to go with the bubble screen. I'm not sure. When you're in that situation, they were on the 29 yard line. They had just uh, moved the ball 61 yards. Uh, in 11 plays, uh, it was like seven minutes to go. And, um, uh, you know, they had, uh, Arizona State was just about ready. It was just about over. And if they'd have pushed another score in, made it 34 to, uh, 18, that game probably would have been over. And, uh, uh, here's USC. Instead of uh, they had two plays basically you're you know you're in four down territory in the 29 so uh, you got two plays you got two yards to go and they had been running the ball well for them to go away from that that's I think symptomatic of what's wrong with the offense it's going in fits and starts uh, sometimes they can run it third quarter they could run it fourth quarter when they have a first down on the 44 after the onside kick all they need is one first down. They ran the ball three times with Buck, and they lost two yards. That's terrible. I mean, that's just awful. That's really, really, really bad uh, and really bad for the offense. Uh, but uh, that's what, you know, you've got a team that it, it doesn't look like they really know what they're doing. It doesn't look like you've got a dependable feeling of here's who we are, here's how we're going to get things done. Uh, look at Arizona State. They're playing without their, you know, really good quarterback, only the second start for Mike Barkovici, and you knew exactly who they were, exactly what they were going to do, exactly how they were going to do it, and they went out and did it. And that's what good teams do with good coaches. And uh, right now, you can't say that USC is in that group. On defense, yeah, when you look at Sark was talking about, on his conference call Sunday, he was talking about how – when it's really obvious what's going on, like the fact that Boston College can't pass the ball, it's wet, it's damp, uh, they're going to run it. Or when uh, Arizona State obviously can't run the ball, 
and they're, you know they're behind, they're going to throw it. When you know absolutely what the other team is going to do and you can't stop it, that's a problem. And Sark is admitting that that's a problem. And that's, you know, Coach Wilcox's problem. I mean, how do you give up 450 yards rushing to Boston College who can't throw it, and then you give up uh, 510 yards passing to an Arizona State team that can't run it? I mean, you've got to be able to stop teams that are going to be – and it's so obvious what they're going to do. You've got to be able to stop them. That this team can't and then does things like, you know, that makes it worse, like Kevon Seymour, you know, leaving his feet and, you know, coming up like two yards short on that, on that play with nobody behind him. I mean, that's just – you can't even imagine that you would do that when all he needed to do in that situation when you're up nine – all you got to do is just stand there, let the guy catch it, and tackle him. Let him throw seven more till they get down the field. But, no, you let him go 73 yards for a touchdown. I mean, that, that to me was – that's the worst single play of the game uh, to allow that, ha- that to happen. But, again, that's coaching. Uh, you can blame the kids, but I think in a lot of ways that's uh, – you know, well-coached teams do not do that. Um, all right. Well, let's see. We got a whole bunch of other questions to get to, so we'll just kind of jump in here. Okay. I'll give you a quick one. It's Tarek. He says, on the offensive line, do you think it'd be better to have Andre Walker at right guard or just keep him uh, or keep it as it is? Uh, I think we've probably spent more time talking about Andre Walker than he has earned at this point. I think he'd have to really show uh, that he really intends to be a factor at this point. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, no, I think you'd be better off working with the young guys at this point. I think there's much more of an upside with the young guys. So, uh, the answer would be no. Um, Frank in Sacramento, we're we have a lot of negative questions, obviously. I'm going to give you one of the positive ones, or at least we, we have a few fans who are writing in similar to Frank. He said, uh, don't everyone panic. What ranked teams didn't lose over this weekend? The passing game was working, except for some key drops. The running game was working with several touchdowns. We shut down their running game. Our pass defense has not given up a touchdown all year. We got beat by the ghost of Doug Flutie. It was his night. Uh, that's Frank from Sacramento. So he's still saying, don't give up hope. Well, I think the problem is they did play well. They did a lot of things well, and they still got beat. I think that's the problem. They're playing at home uh, against a team without its quarterback, and they got beat. That, and they play hard, and they tried. That's what scares you, I think, a little bit. Is you know what's wrong here? If you can, uh, you know, you can come out, try hard, play hard, and still get beat. Uh, you know, you've got all these players that, uh, you know, if you consider the recruiting rankings have any relevancy at all or if you consider you know where these guys are going to go in the nfl draft uh usc had more talent clearly more talent on the field now whether they had more talent on the sidelines uh you know that's one of the problems todd graham is a big time professional college football coach uh next week uh rich rodriguez is a big time professional college football coach both of them have big-time professional college football staff. Uh, they make it hard. They make it really hard. If you do things, uh, don't do things well, if you do things inconsistently, 
if you uh, do take chances, if you do you know, things that uh, can get you in trouble, they will get you in trouble. These are, these are guys, and the more you get into the, uh, you know, the season, the more they can see things that they can exploit. And these are guys that will exploit them. And uh, it makes it hard when it looks like your coaching staff isn't really sure of what it wants to do, of who it is, of what, how they're going to do something, you know, when they're really under the gun on either offense or defense or special teams, uh, that makes it tough. And, and these guys, this Pac-12 now, is going to make it tough on you. If you watch Utah against UCLA last night, if you're watching what Washington State and Cal are doing, this is going to be a tough league, and nobody's going to give you a pass. And you better be ready to play, and you better know what you're doing, who you are, and how you're going to get there. And right now, USC is one of the undefined teams in the league that doesn't look like it knows who it is. It doesn't look like USC doesn't have a physical, intimidating kind of a team on defense anymore. And that really is, is kind of a problem. They don't get after people. And uh, they need to be able to get after people. Um. Chris in Cambria had a kind of different take. So I'd, we have more, a lot more questions like this, to be fair. Uh, well, I've seen enough to know that Coach Sark is not a very good head coach. It's going to be a long few years. He will not take us there. Forget sanctions. Watch the games again. We have enough talent. But I'm finally realizing tonight we made the wrong hire. That's from – I'm sorry. That was from Patrick. And then Chris in Cambria – I'm sorry. There was two questions kind of similar. Chris in Cambria wrote – uh, it's clear that the coaching of this team is lacking unless coaches are evaluated on their ability to turn football players into sideline cheerleaders. If the coaching and performance of the team continues to disappoint, how long realistically could it be before a coaching change could be made? So a couple uh, not positive comments on the, the coaching staff, Dan, that you can comment on. You don't like sideline cheerleaders? Come on. <laughs> hey, I thought that choreography was uh... – I it might have been one of the better things of the night, right? No, I shouldn't say that. But, uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, this is the problem. Last year they were 3-2, and two, had a horrible loss to uh, Arizona State, and they were able to do something about it and turned everything around. This year they're 3-2 and two with, just like last year, two really bad losses in the first five games. And what are you going to do about it? That's the question. And for, te- for a team that's already gone through this a couple of times probably when you think about it, uh, and now they're going through it again, and how do you reach those kids, you know? Because uh, Ed Orgeron probably not coming back. And uh, now where do you go from there? Uh, where do you go for kids who think maybe – you know, my best best move right now is to start getting ready for the NFL. Or, you know, that's the big worry, you would think, at this point. And, uh, you know, how how big is – you know, we thought last week's game was the biggest, and then this week's game was the biggest. Now next week's game is the biggest. I mean, you know, they still would have a chance to maybe right themselves if they get out and play really well at Arizona. But – uh you know, that hasn't been the uh, the tradition here the last uh, couple of times in Tucson. So we'll see we'll see where this uh, where this goes. But uh, 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 yeah, uh, it's 
I'm not thinking you should be thinking we're going to get immediate changes or we're going to get short-range changes. Uh, you know, whether the staff holds together the way it is, uh, I guess that's always a possibility, whether that's uh, what you're thinking about. But, uh, but you wouldn't look for um, any, uh, you know, drastic changes. Last year was a drastic change, and uh, it actually kind of worked. Uh, not sure that that's in the cards right now. I agree with you 100%, Dan. It's uh, A lot of people want change right now. It just does not seem like there's any possible way it's going to happen. Just listening to Stark's conference call, listening to the way he answers the questions, when you asked him about even giving up the play-calling duties, that seemed like the furthest thing uh, from his mind. So to me, they're five games in. I mean, that's realistically, they are still five games in to a brand-new staff, new schemes and everything. You do have to... I'm not saying you do, it's like they're positive developments and everything, but you could definitely argue if you're Pat Hayden or whatever that you have to give things time. And Steve Sarkisian can argue that. Now, do you do USC fans realize that he was only going to be on a short leash to begin a short leash to begin with, just because Ed Orgeron was such a popular guy? Now that's kind of come into fruition, and it makes it. I think Pat Hayden knew if he didn't win right away, it was going to make it tougher. He's now seeing that it's going to be tougher around Heritage Hall, around the John McKay Center because Sarkeesian's losing and they're not looking good. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, part of that is uh, Sark basically said at every stop along the way, starting in the spring, that this team was better than he realized, didn't realize he had, you know, and by the time, you know, he got to the late spring, he was telling people that he thought he had more talent than anybody in the Pac-12. Nobody had as much talent. Nobody had a better, uh, you know, top uh, 22 nobody had a better two deep and he clearly you know felt that way and and had no uh no problems with uh you know high expectations and i think a lot of people basically felt like if you were going to let uh last year's staff go after turning it around and going 10 and 4 and finishing up strong the way they did at least with in the you know last four games you you uh, you beat Stanford and you win going away in the in the ball game with, with Fresno. That um, uh, you had to come in with if you're not going to retain those guys, you come in with a staff that's going to keep them on that same trajectory uh, since you've got most of those players back. And uh, you know you might have lost a few of the guys who could have come back and would have come back had had you know Coach Orgeron's staff stayed, but. Uh, I think the understanding was this is not a start over. This is not a uh, you know a time for somebody to come in and say, oh, we got to build from you know the ground up. I mean, I know Sark felt like this is one of those ideal situations where you're coming in uh, as the new coach, but you don't have to rebuild anything. You've got a team ready to go. You got a team with a lot of talent. I mean, uh, you know. It's, Buck Allen, best running back in the Pac-12? Yeah, probably. I mean, and best combo back? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you've got a lot of guys that, that are going to be pretty high in, you know, the NFL draft list and all that. And the, the sloppiness and, and the, the kind of disconnected play or the fact that one week you can't stop the run and the next week you can't stop the pass, and all, or you go – you know, four games and you don't give up a touchdown pass, and then you get to game five and you give up five of them. I mean, it's just uh, it's just 
that kind of inconsistency is, is really, uh, I don't think you can build a program uh, on that. And you can't build a program if you don't know who you are and, and what you're supposed to look like and how you're supposed to win games. Uh, you can't win it if you're coaching scared and you're trying not to, you know, not to lose. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of issues involved that, uh, you know, we're going to see play out here and, and real quickly this week. We certainly will. Uh, let's get back to the question. Sorry, a little sidetrack there. Uh, a lot of attention and questions will be given to the USC defense after the loss to Arizona State, and rightfully so after blowing a nine-point lead with two minutes left. But multiple drives and even a touchdown were negated by drop passes. This has become a common occurrence with T. Martin coaching receivers, what could be done to, quote-unquote, fix their hands, and how could USC, with its talented receiver corps, not have uh, open routes downfield ever? This is a Trojan in Tennessee, so someone that's very familiar with T. Martin. I guess he's beat a little hard on the USC receivers coach. Yeah, I think that's stupid. Uh, uh, but I think uh, one of the things, I think, that when you've got that many receivers is I think you have to throw the ball a lot in practice. And we have seen practice change a little bit once they've got into the season and once they started the scout team, uh, you know, prep stuff and all that. Uh, I liked it. I mean, I liked it better when they were running their stuff and run a, a lot and run it and under pressure. And, and, and you don't probably see that as much, and they probably don't catch as many balls as they used to. And I do think that's a problem. And I think that's uh, you know the genius of coaching and figuring out how do you how do you get that done uh, you know in a week's time so that they're really ready to uh, you know go out there and catch everything. Uh, you just and it's becoming more obvious uh, the drops are. You didn't see that early, but uh, you're seeing more of that, and I think it's somewhat a reflection of how they're practicing. I do also wonder about some of the routes. They just look like they aren't creating separation as much as you'd like. Uh, I think Arizona State, by throwing the ball down the field, was certainly able to create some separation at times. But uh, when you're kind of constricted and in, in throwing the ball, uh, you know, short routes, and, and you, you really don't stretch the field as much as, as, as we thought we were going to see. Uh, and, and, I mean, I think you need to be able to do that. And so I think some of that scheme and some of that practice, and I really wouldn't, uh, you know, say that, uh, you know, personalize it with, uh, with Coach Martin. I, I don't think at all. I mean, I think, you, you know, well, there are other issues there. Um, okay, let's see. Chad in Riverside. Hey, guys. Uh, during the game, Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. He's been a guest on our podcast, by the way. Very good follow. Uh, at Move the Sticks on Twitter, he said uh, that good offenses are explosive or physical. Uh, then he said USC was neither. Why is Sark so afraid of taking shots down the field? Uh, it's clear that defenses are not having to play honest and are just crowding the box. That's Chad and Riverside. I think and Daniel Jeremiah and I are on the same wavelength there. That's a really good way to say it. They're not, you know, you're either physical or you're you know, really, really uh, explosive, and, and, and they're neither. Um, I think some of that is you're a little afraid. You know, uh, you got young linemen. Can we uh, can we pass block, or can our can our running back pick up that? Uh, you know, and we we've shown with the number of sacks, probably not always. Uh, 
you know, is that because you got too much offense in and maybe you're asking them to, you know, handle too many different schemes? Uh, you know, I don't know. You're not moving the pocket enough or you're not, you know, uh, you know, coming up with ways that you can, you know, best use Co- uh, Cody's skill set. I know Sark said that this, uh, you know, on Sunday night. He said that uh, they got to come up with a game plan that maximizes their player's skill set. You know, you know, you wish that would have already happened. But uh, uh, they've got to throw the ball down the field. And I know, you know, there was a similarity with when when Lane stopped, you know, wanting to do that because of worrying about protection or worrying about what could go wrong and all of that kind of thing. Uh, I think you gotta, you know, you gotta go with what you can do. I mean, that, that George Farmer hasn't, you know, gone down the field once. That you don't have to, you know, if he's in the game, you would think you'd like people to think man, this is a kid that can really run. We better, you know, force them to at least adjust. But really, you don't have to adjust now. Bryce Dixon can get down the field for a tight end. Uh, you don't have to adjust. Uh, you know, Buck Allen, you just think I'd throw, the, I'd throw the ball to Buck as many times as I could until they stopped him. Uh, and, you know, there's just things I think that, that need to be done that aren't aren't being done and one of them is creating a personality. Who is this USC football team? What kind of team is it? And what are they going to, you know, how do they beat you? And, and so that they know when it's third and two, they all know what USC's kids do. They know exactly what we're going to run and how we're going to beat you. And that's the key thing. And if you're questioning right now, which everybody is, who is USC when they're third and two on the 29-yard line with a chance to put the game away? Who is USC? Are they the bubble screen team? Well, okay. If you want to be that team, and then you see what happens. You know, if, you're, if you're the team that wants to uh, throw in a uh, wildcat and have Justin Davis get crushed uh, you know, with no chance uh, because you didn't block it at all, uh, okay, fine. But uh, that's probably not a team that's going to beat anybody good. So um, this, is, this is a team without a personality right now. It's a team that doesn't seem to know how it's going to beat people and what it has to do to win games. And uh, that's really crucial at this point. And I don't think we've got any answer for that. we got a couple of questions here. I'm going to give it – well, I'll give them one at a time. But um, very different viewpoints, and we've, we've seen some different ones before. But first is Stephen Poway. Who uh, is a PhD, by the way, a smart man. Um, here's the thing I can't stop myself from asking. What if Ed Orgeron had stayed on as defensive coordinator? Would this team be playing with more heart at this point? Would the defense be stronger? Does this defense even have an identity? Since I'm thinking this, I wonder if others are. And most importantly, whether this coaching staff will always suffer from a what if problem as fans and players doubt them. Put differently, Part of the staff's problem is they inherited a pretty good team, especially the defense. Have they actually taken a step or two back this year, Stephen Poway? Yeah, I think Steve. I think one of the, the as far as that question was, I think one of the things uh, Ed probably uh, tried to be his own defensive coordinator at Ole Miss, but I think he knows. And one of the lessons he learned at Ole Miss is that really wasn't his role. His role was. Uh, Defensive line coach, where he's one of the, you know, probably all-time greats in college football. Last year, the team Bennett fitted from having 
it was Ed Orgeron and then Pete Jenkins, who an absolute legend as a defensive line coach in college football, so and in the NFL. Uh so that team had you know, that was a big leg up I think for that team, uh, to say the least. But uh but not Ed as a defensive coordinator, but I think Ed is a uh, you know just that kind of guy who the the kids bonded with and that tough man you know was more than a tough man image. And the fact that I think always what helped Ed was he was a recruiting coordinator, so basically he knew everybody. He everybody went through Ed. He knew their you know their families. There was a kind of a bonding that uh, where everybody was kind of on the same page, and it made it so much easier for that to happen and that hasn't happened and and I know I think this team and one of the nice I think one of the good things these kids did is they did not hold that against the new staff and I think they really gave them the benefit of the doubt you know through the winter through the spring through the summer uh I never saw a team work so hard in the summer uh through August but you've seen cracks start developing in the kind of the you know, the overall approach and the unity and all of that as the team has gotten ready uh, week after week uh, for games and things seem to have changed and, it, and they don't seem to all be on the, on that same page. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, and now I think maybe there is that what if. I mean, I think that's one of the really biggest dangers this week for sure is if, you know, players and people start saying this was the week last year when everything changed. It's the week, you know, that Ed and company took over. And this is the week they played Arizona and got their first win and moved on. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's a, a real danger, you know, for this team this year right now. Um, all right. And then kind of on the other side of the coin, JJB says, great show. I'm very disappointed. But all these comments I've been reading on the various uh, Trojan sites about firing Steve Sarkeesian and calling Sark and Wilcox bums is counterproductive. The players are going to read these things. If they lose confidence in the coaching staff, then we're really in a world of hurt. Personally, I, I would have bent over backwards to bring in Chris Peterson, but they chose to go in another direction. We can't hire a new coach every year. I think Sark should be given at least three years, and we should support him. I would extend that to any of his assistants, but even Wilcox should receive our support for the rest of the year. Well, the fact that he said even Wilcox is pretty bad. He, he has a <laughs> reputation to uphold. He's being mentioned for head coaching jobs. Let's see if he can fix this defense. That's JJB. Yeah, I think uh, was being mentioned might be the way to way to say that at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but even Wilcox, I thought that was funny. Even yeah, Wilcox. Yeah, even Wilcox. When you have to say it that way, uh, yeah, that's uh, – uh, uh, they didn't have three years. That's the problem. This was a team – in the situation where USC is, they got through the NCAA's, you know, horrific sanctions and all of that and, and laying, you know, being the coach and all that. They got through it better than anybody could have ever dreamed. And that 10-4 and four season last year was a dream in a lot of ways. And to have most of the talent back and guys working hard and really wanting to be good and saying, this is our chance finally, you know, we're sort of off sanctions. And we don't have, you know, the numbers aren't great, but we do have a lot of talent. Uh, it's young. Uh, all we got to do is coach them up, get them out there, get everybody on the same page. 
and let's go. And uh, that's that's the hits I think is that is that just uh, it wasn't a three year rebuilding situation. It wasn't a no. This was a team that uh, the good news if you come in here is you got a, a ready made team. Uh, the bad news is people expect you, uh, you know, to have a team that's ready to go and and to be better than last year's team was. On paper, it certainly is better, you know, than last year's team. Uh, to end up at three and two right now with uh, two, you know, last year at this time they'd lost to Washington State, comparable to the loss to uh, Boston College, and then they lose to Arizona State again. I mean, this is the year, for example, USC's got the full recruiting class. And you really find it hard when Arizona State comes in and, and they're the cool team after pulling pulling off that, uh, you know, gutty victory at the buzzer. And uh, USC is looking like, you know, they don't know what they're what exactly they're trying to do. Uh, so, you know, I... Uh, you know, I think it's uh, they're in a very uh, very difficult situation, and they absolutely do not have three years. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> they definitely do not. Um, let's see. D from the Inland Empire had a question. He said, "I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years now, and really enjoy your insights and opinions." Thank you very much, D. Uh, it's my opinion that Coach Sarkeesian is in a position to hire the best available persons to serve as offensive coordinator and special teams coordinator. Why wouldn't he make an executive decision to hire someone better than he is so that he can focus on being a head coach? And you think that he uh, trivializes the importance of special teams to the point that he's happy using his piecemeal approach. So little critical of Sark and the offense and special teams. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm one that's convinced you got to have a separate special teams coach. You just have to coach them up. You got to really know what you're doing, and you got to you know devote enough time. I mean, I think you know there were there were some really good things about the way John Baxter did what he did, but it was spotty. There were some things that were kind of goofy, and uh, you know you had to, uh, and yet they did some things really well. You know, the the the, the kick and punt blocking part of it. Uh, you know they. You know some of the you know the return game uh, punt return great uh, kickoff return not so good. <clears throat> uh, so uh, whether you have a full time guy doing that or whether you have the right shared uh, you know assistant coaches where they uh, each of them have different duties and that kind of thing, uh, I think you can do it a couple of different ways. You have to really make it uh, a priority in practice, uh, and 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 that may be an issue. Uh, and I think uh, the offensive coordinator thing, I think, uh, is showing that there are things that head coaches really have to do besides call plays. And USC's had a couple of those situations already this year. And, uh, you know, they have been very tough. And there are times when you really wish the head coach had the ability to concentrate on the defense and concentrate on working with the defensive coordinator and in, 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 in adjusting to uh, what Boston College was doing with the option and the quarterback and what uh, Arizona State was doing with their quarterback and their passing game. And uh, if you're having to think about what's the, you know, what series that you're going to start with when you come out of the, you know, at halftime, do you really have time to focus on, uh, uh, you know, on, on what a head coach is you know, focusing on? If the, you're down to the, 
you know, you're nine points up with three minutes to go. Uh, you know, where should your attention be if you're the head coach or you get into that last play of the game? Uh, if you're still holding your play sheet, uh, are you able to really do the job that you have to be doing uh, in terms of coordinating, uh, you know, a couple of different possible uh, defensive alignments on that last play? I mean, I I think it's really tough, and uh, I I wouldn't do it, especially if you've got Clay Helton on your staff, who you know Clay did double duty actually in the last game, where he was the head coach and the, and the play caller. But when you have somebody on that on your staff like that, it, it, you would just think it would be a natural. I mean, Clay really runs the offensive part of practice, you know, in practice. Uh, it would just seem like uh, natural to go ahead and have him do it in games. But when I asked Sark that question, it it obviously had never crossed his mind not to do it. He just has always done it. This is his sixth year as a head coach, and it's just the way he is. It's who he is. It's how he sees himself. And uh, I'm just not sure if uh, if it's working out. It it doesn't look like maybe it is. Um. There, we've got a bunch of questions on that Hail Mary play. So I'm going to play you the voicemail one first, and then I'll, I'll, I, right when it's done, I'll read you a couple of things that people wrote in too. But let me play this for you. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Mike from Lantana, Texas. I just want to thank you for all you do. You guys put on a great show every week. Uh, two things for you. What is the percentages on a Hail Mary? It seems like you see maybe one or two a year in all of college football from all 120 teams. And USC's seen two in the last two weeks. And then the Cal game also this this year. Also, it seemed like Sarkeesian did a good job of managing the game. He had to slow the offense down to help the defense stay uh, rested. I think it's going to take us a while to build up our depth because of the outrageous uh, NCAA infractions and everything that we got labeled with. I'd like to know your thoughts on how long it's going to take us to actually get back to full strength. And we'll, we'll let you, since that was kind of, we'll, we'll get to the more specific Hail Mary stuff. I'll let you talk about that, that question first, then we'll talk about the Hail Mary stuff after. Okay. I, I think on the depth thing, Sark really thought he had enough depth this year. He really, he believed that um, uh, you're going with a, uh, most teams, you know, you might have 85 on scholarship or 105 or 110 or whatever on, on the roster, but basically you've got a kind of a 50-some guys uh, in terms of these are the guys you're going to play with, uh, 50 to 60. And he felt like he hid that 50 to 60, without a doubt. You know, that was, uh, we're good to go. And uh, he has not wavered from that. And I, I tend to pretty much agree with him. That if you don't get a run at, say, a tight end or something like that of injuries, uh, that that I don't know that you're in that great of a depth situation. Uh, okay, maybe you could have had one or two more offensive linemen, you know, with Andre Walker and and, and Jordan Simmons both uh, injured. Okay, that that that's kind of an issue. But were they going to be better than these, uh, you know, pretty talented freshmen? I don't know. Uh, you know, 
would have been better to have, yeah, the numbers are such that if you'd had, a, you know, enough of recruiting classes the last three years, uh, you know, things would have changed a little bit. But um, but I don't know that depth is, is, is you know, is going to be, is going to be the way to go there. Uh, so, you know, I'm not I'm not a big one, and Sark hasn't been either about uh, the depth or the numbers as an issue. And then the, he did mention the Hail Mary, but I wanted to get the, the specific okay. question about it. We had a bunch of people write in. Uh, Hail Mary was a real head-scratcher. I don't think I ever recall watching a receiver catch the ball on the fly while a group of defenders were standing around right in front of him. Can we assume that the defensive backs have never practiced the end of the half end of the game tip drill. Uh, That's from Franco. We had Jay from Atlanta write in. uh, Brandon Rancho Cucamonga. Robin Ukaipa. He said you should bring in receivers like Keyshawn Johnson, things like that. Um, I know Coach Harvey Hyde talked about it, but we wanted to get your thoughts on the the Hail Mary play too. Well, I mean, I think they got themselves caught because they they absolutely didn't know what to do because the thought was what if uh, they throw a 15-yard out and get it out of bounds with two seconds to go and come in and kick a field goal. So they're trying to do two things. They're trying to defend against the out and also the thought about the Hail Mary. And they obviously made two calls. How that works exactly, I don't know, because we're talking to, you know, seniors and guys that have played a lot of football, and they made it clear after the game that uh, everybody didn't know what the calls were, and everybody wasn't on the same page. And, uh, you know, what Hayes Fillard is doing as the deep middle guy, uh, I'm still not sure. Uh, his role evidently, eventually, in the final call uh, against the Hail Mary was to be a box-out guy. And, unfortunately, he boxed out Leon McQuay, who was supposed to be the jumper, the guy that was going to go for the football. Now, when they practice it, uh, in order to avoid injuries, they um, only let the offense or the defense jump. And we got a sense that maybe the offense gets a little more of that because when you're practicing Hail Marys, maybe you're spending a little more time. We don't get to see it because that's what they do on Thursday. So we're not in there when they're doing it. But from what we've been told, that um, they allow only the offense or the defense to jump but never both of them so in terms of actually practicing that live no they don't so they don't have a situation where uh, somebody goes up and uh, you know tries to catch it and somebody goes up and tries to knock it down uh, probably hurt them a little bit I mean it looked like um, you know a, a 1950s uh, photo of a basketball game where all 10 players are standing on the ground uh, nobody's <laughs> in the air. And uh, in that play, I don't even know if Jalen Strong got up in the air much, but the rest of them, I mean, it's hard to imagine, remember a Hail Mary when nobody's up in the air. They're all standing there. Yeah. Uh, very weird. Very, very. Now, last week, Oregon State kind of got caught in that same situation. The USC at least put up a wall and kind of walled them off, and, uh, but Darius did go up and get it. But uh, it was uh, it was very weird uh, that they allowed that to happen, and uh, that they you know they couldn't get get it clear in everybody's mind. I mean the kid you know Sark said he thinks it's pretty clear what was going on, but you know, we don't get the sense that the players 
think it was that you know crystal clear, and uh, it certainly didn't look like. I mean, I think it's terrible. I, one of the bad things is Hayes Pillard should not be put in that situation where people are pointing him out and saying, "Why didn't he do this and why didn't he do that?" That's not his job. He's a middle linebacker, for goodness sakes, you know. And uh, for him to be in the middle of that scrum when he's basically never defended a pass like that in his life just seems crazy. And, uh, he, he, you know, that wasn't his place. Now, could you have put in some of those receivers if you didn't know for sure that they're going to throw deep? Because if you watch the UCLA ending, UCLA came up with the other answer. They threw the ball to the sideline and went for the field goal at the end of the game against Utah. It didn't help them. They got a couple of chances and they couldn't kick the field goal in. But, uh, uh, they chose not to throw the Hail Mary, but to throw the uh, sideline out. So, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a difficult situation. But, uh, you know, they got caught, and, and Arizona State, you know, made the play. One would have liked to have seen them go after the quarterback maybe, uh, uh, but they they didn't choose to do that. Uh, and they that pr- probably won them the Stanford game because J.R. Tavai came hard. And uh, Hogan didn't see him coming. And, uh, you know, that might be my choice. Just go try to win it instead of trying to keep from, you know, getting beat. And then uh, we had one last one. Matt in Aaron Arbor uh, wrote in. It was about three minutes. I'm not wrote it. He called in about three-minute question. And uh, sorry, Matt, we can't play like three minutes on uh, on the podcast here. But he uh, – yeah, yeah, We could score two touchdowns in three minutes, actually. <laughs> yeah, so. Or three, yeah. With no um, timeouts. His big issue was the conservative play calling and, and something that you know we talked about a little bit, playing not to lose. And is, it, is that something that you've seen a lot lately? Or you, you know, you, was it happened at the beginning of the season or is it, is it adopted later? What, what do you think about the whole playing not to lose versus playing to win thing? Yeah, I think it, it, it seems to have come up more when the more they've spent getting ready for each opponent and the more you know they – you know, we can do this, we can't do that, you know, whatever. And it it, it seems more in the uh, – uh, more focus on on the team you're playing and maybe how, you know, you have to do this instead of the focus on yourself and what you can do and how you're going to be out there and just make them stop you rather than you worrying about how they're going to stop you. I mean, I think it's just a – kind of a psychology of, of how you have to do things. And I think that I think there has to be a little bit of a fearlessness about, you know, this is who we are. This is how we're going to get it done. And we'll see if you can stop us. And, and, and a sort of a, a, a confidence in uh, your personality. And we are this team who can do these things. We're very proud of that. You don't want to be the gutty little Trojans heading to Tucson that hope you can show that you can stay on the same field with the nationally ranked uh, Wildcats who have four guys that you would have recruited, you know, but that's the, you know, that's the, the storyline that we're hearing for this week is, uh, and hopefully the, uh, uh, this kind of a game will stimulate the USC players pride and they all practice hard and show up and play well. And it just doesn't play right to me that you're talking about that, about this USC team. That's uh, uh, just, you know, that's not the way this team ought to be going. 
Yeah, it's hard hard to argue with that, Dan. But it went from a top ten team to now a team that's got a lot of issues, and uh, I don't. It, it'll be a big question this weekend at Tucson. It's not going to be easy. Will they be able to handle it? Will they be able to bounce back this week at practice and uh, and 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 get their head straight? Because this is a team now. I think there's some there's a a sense of fragileness, I guess you could say, with you know psych, psychological the psychological game here isn't isn't being played very well i guess you could say they're, they're not in a good spot it seems like and there's a lot of potential issues coming up yeah i mean just take a look at what rich rod did with arizona they go into uh you know this is a team that you know needed an unbelievable hail mary of their own to be cow and then they go into you know eugene and just really play like we're going to win this game. We're going to take it away. We're not going to let you do this. We're not going to let you do that. We're going to run it at you. We're going to take it away from you. And played fearlessly and just shut them up in, in Austin and, uh, and and did everything you'd ever hope for a team that, you know, that they can do. And you're thinking, why is that not something that USC does this week? I mean, what what is keeping USC from being a team that knows what it can do knows how it can play and goes, I mean, that, that you're actually in some ways really almost, um, uh, you know, in awe of, of this Arizona team is, is pretty amazing uh, when you think about it. And give them credit. They did great. And, I, you know, you watch them Thursday night and you think, gosh, that's great. You know, Rich Rod has done a terrific job with this team. But uh, what, what that says is, uh, why not USC? Yeah. <laughs> why not you know have that same feeling about USC and the ability to go in there and do that? And uh, you know, just you know, if the two Arizona schools can be ranked and uh, USC can't, and you know both of them get knocked off uh, USC and UCLA on the same night at home, uh, you do wonder what the heck's going on. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see. And uh, it's going to be a tough one this weekend, like I said, in Arizona. We'll be watching them this week, so check out uscfootball.com for all that. So this might be our longest podcast ever, Dan, but uh, mm-hmm. thanks for uh, bearing with us and getting all the questions. And, again, I apologize. We still, we're still we still getting questions in late. I haven't got to be able to get to them. We just had so many to start with that if you didn't get them in early enough, we unfortunately didn't get to you. But, you know, you can send them in again next week. We'll see what happens, uh, USC and Arizona. But thanks again, Dan. We appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh- Long podcast and the longest uh, final three minutes ever. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it maybe is uh, fitting. And this may be a really long week. It very well could be. All right. Well, we'll see, Dan. We'll uh, check in on practice. Check out uscfootball.com for all the latest reports. For Dan Weber, Coach Harvey High, this is Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning into the Parastyle Podcast. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 